The Joy FM Sports presents The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley. Welcome to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley. I hope everyone is doing well during these times and, you know, we continue to just pray and trust God through these circumstances. And so, uh, this topic that I want to talk about this week is something that's been on my mind for quite some time. It's, um, you know, I like to watch documentaries and on players and coaches similar to a football life that airs on the NFL Network, 30 for 30 that we've grown to love on ESPN. You know, these are situations and, and stories that illustrate the journey that players and coaches have been through, you know, some of the tough times they've gone through to get to where they want it to be. Uh, second chance opportunities are also um, kind of explained in those stories as well, how they were told no, or maybe they were traded or they were fired or whatever it may be. And they got a second chance and they thrived in that second chance. Uh, untapped potential. That's another thing that's often uh, displayed as well as you know they may have been good but then you know over time they worked hard and got better and became great so that's also as you know it's always cool to see is that untapped potential with players and coaches and then always there seems to always be involved in players coaches life is that special someone who helped them become better as an athlete and as a person as well you know um I mean, we you look at so many different players and coaches and their journey they have taken, and you see it's always somebody. It's always that one person who never quit on them, who never, uh, who never doubted them, or who encouraged them in those dark moments and those uh, dark times when that particular person wanted to cave in and quit. So today I'm going to highlight a few scenarios of special player coach relationships and how that coach impacted his life. Now, the first player I want to talk about, he was one of the best two guards to play in the NBA. He was a number one pick in the 1996 NBA draft, an 11-time All-Star, four-time scoring champion, and he was also inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2016. So some of you may have figured it out by now, but I'm talking about Allen Iverson. You know, Allen Iverson is my favorite player in NBA history. Like, it was, you know, being an 80s baby, Michael Jordan was my guy. Like, I wore 23 in baseball because of Michael Jordan. And so, you know, Jordan was that guy for the longest. But then when he retired in, like, 94, 95, AI burst into the scene in 96. And it was just something about Iverson's game that – and I just fell in love with, and I know not just me, but so many other people, youth, adults alike, um, just loved Allen Iverson and just the, his entertaining style of play. And what's ironic is I didn't even like Iverson in college because I was a UConn, I mean, UConn fan. UConn Huskies played Georgetown all the time, and that was a huge rivalry, and I didn't like Georgetown and still don't like them to this day. But that's exactly where Iverson attended school was Georgetown. And so, you know, we know him for uh, the crossover that he, in the story I read, he he learned it at Georgetown from a walk-on named Dean Berry. A, a walk-on told him his patented crossover move that so many people still use today, uh, whether it's pro, college, high school, youth league, everybody wants to get that crossover down. And so, you know, Iverson mentioned in the story that he uh, – you know, Barry used to just use his crossover against him in practice all the time and how, you know, Iverson's like, okay, I need to set my pride aside. I need to I need to figure out what this move is. You have to show it to me. So he said those they, they would spend time after practice 
until Iverson got it down right and, you know, incorporated that move into his game. So speaking of Iverson, like I said, you know, he went through some trouble in his high school career and, you know, he went to, to got in some to some legal troubles there. And so there was a moment where, you know, he was, you know, the best, like one of the best players in football and basketball in high school and every school wanted him to be a part of their program. And so after those legal issues came about, you know, a lot of those schools shot away. So the soundbite you're about to hear comes from the Naismith Hall of Fame induction when Iverson was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2016. He's speaking on head coach John Thompson, who was the coach at Georgetown when Iverson played there. And Iverson speaks on Thompson and how important of a role he played in his life. I want to thank uh, Coach Thompson. Uh-huh. Coach, Coach Thompson was saving my life. Um, for giving me uh, the opportunity. Um, I was recruited by every school in the country for football and basketball. And uh, the incident happened in high school and all that was taken away. No other teams, no other schools were recruiting me anymore. My mom went to Georgetown and begged him to give me a chance. And he did. And so you heard in that soundbite from the Naismith Hall of Fame induction, you know, Iverson thanking Coach Thompson for saving his life. You know, he went through a lot when so many other schools, nobody wanted to touch him. D1, D2, D3, prep schools, nobody uh, was interested in his services anymore and him becoming a student athlete for their program. But his mom never quit, as we know how parents are, especially moms. You know, they have our back. His mom went down to Georgetown, talked to Coach Thompson, give my son a chance. You won't forget. You won't regret it. And, you know, Coach Thompson, you know, from what he saw in Iverson before his senior year, because Iverson didn't play his senior year because of the troubles he was involved in. So Thompson only really had to go off what he saw before his senior year. Um, and so, you know, there was Iverson thanking Thompson for that moment to be this kid from Hampton, Virginia, to go to Georgetown, to become inducted into the Hall of Fame. And, you know, John Thompson had a huge part of that. So John Thompson was right there on stage with Iverson when he gave his speech. Now, another coach who gave uh, who was a huge part of Iverson's career in his life as a person overall was Larry Brown. And Larry Brown was on stage with him as well when he was given that inducting, uh, induction Hall of Fame speech uh, for the Naismith Hall of Fame. So, you know, Larry Brown is, you know, he coached for decades and decades. He played ball in North Carolina. He, um, you know, coached at UCLA and Kansas and with the Indiana Pacers, the Philadelphia 76ers or Charlotte Hornets. I mean, he, he, he coached in a lot of places. But where these two connected was in Philadelphia. And, you know, there was a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. They didn't always see the eye to eye as, you know, becoming kind of being two different people. You know, you have Larry Brown, who's old school, kind of setting his ways. He's been coaching for a while. Iverson's this new school kind of, uh, you know, I'm good and I know I'm confident and I can do this. 
but he's having to learn, you know, this new coaching method from a hard-nosed coach like Larry Brown, who is old school. And so, you know, sometimes I think we have to remember, like, regardless of where we come from, we can learn from each other. Things can still be taught uh, regardless of your race and your age and just, like I said, where you, where you come from, your background overall. But this next soundbite you're about to hear, it comes from Quite Frankly. It was a show from Stephen A. Smith he did several years ago. His first guest on the show was Allen Iverson. And so Iverson was speaking on how much he appreciated Coach Brown. Well, Stephen A. Smith had a surprise for Iverson as he had recorded, had an interview with uh, Larry Brown. And so Brown is speaking on Iverson and how much Iverson meant to him. So this soundbite comes from, from, quite frankly, Stephen A. Smith's show from several years ago. He's the greatest coach that ever coached this game to me in my heart. He's the greatest coach I ever, I mean, the way he, he, he get everything out of his players, everything. He's the best coach that I, I've ever been around. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Larry Brown because would you like to hear what he had to say about you? Absolutely. Play the tape. When he goes out to play, he gives everything he can to possibly win. He might sometimes be mis misguided, but he competes every single night. He'll never let his teammates down in terms of giving effort and trying to win. And I, and I love him for that. I wish that he realized when kids watch that, they're not seeing the real side of him. You know, he could have the greatest effect on kids of any athlete that I have ever been associated with. And, you know, when I first saw that interview, several years ago, you know, it kind of just warmed my heart because if you haven't seen it, Iverson is tearing up as he's listening to Coach Brown speak on him. And, you know, he talks about how he loves Coach Brown and how Larry Brown taught him so much about basketball but also about life. And that just because someone disciplines you doesn't mean they don't love you, you know, because you don't want someone who is always praising you left and right that – tell you, you know, you can't do anything wrong. You need somebody who's going to be real with you. And, you know, we make mistakes. You need somebody to correct you in those mistakes. You need somebody to uplift you and uh, when you're down and, you know, like I said, kind of support you in all facets of life. So we're not perfect. So you don't need a yes man in your corner that's only going to tell you what you want to hear. And so this is Iverson, you know, talking about the, just because someone disciplines you doesn't mean they don't love you. You know, that's that's what tough love is. And so, you know, it's pretty cool to to hear Brown speak on him. Iverson is about to cry. And it's just, you know, I think that was Iverson needed that just like a lot of the viewers needed to to hear that as well. Because, you know, Iverson and Brown, I'm sure they had several conversations in private where they shared that love for each other. But to have Brown speak on national television to an audience who may not see that side of it. You know, I think that spoke a lot to Allen Iverson that Larry Brown would say that. And now you have a group of a group of people who uh, get a chance to see how much they really meant to each other. And so, you know, that was a very special connection that those two had. And, you know, a quote that Iverson had, he said about Larry Brown was, he said, I love being who I am. I love the person that I am. I feel comfortable in my skin. But if I could have a wish as an athlete, I wish I would have bought into what he was trying to give me all along. Just being defiant, 
when all he wanted was the best for me. He also said, and I didn't take constructive criticism the way I should have. To me, in my eyes, he's the best coach ever. To me. And I didn't take what God was giving me the right way. God sent him to me, and I was defiant at that time. So, you know, regardless of whether you're a player and you have a coach or you're at work and you have a boss or, uh, you know, even being a child and a parent, uh, regardless of what your age is as a child, you're still, you know, that that you're still that parent's child. So, um, you know, here's Iverson kind of owning up to his mistakes that he was defiant when, you know, he had an opportunity to learn even more from this coach that he said God placed to his to his life at that time. But here he is a more mature Iverson who's owning up to that mistake and, uh, you know, hoping people learn from what he's saying. He's sharing his testimony, sharing his experience as a player under Larry Brown and how he missed it. He, he There should have been more he uh, they should have accomplished together if he would have bought in sooner. So let that be a lesson is that, you know, don't be a defiant when you have authority in your life. They're placed in your life for a reason. God has uh, allowed them to become a part of your path at that particular time. And just always remember that, you know, no matter what, that love is tough love and it's for your best interest. Hey, this is Bauer Sharp for the Dothan Wolves. You're listening to The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley on the Joy FM Sports. Now, the next player, uh, this guy was the 28th pick in the 2001 NBA draft. He was a six-time All-Star, a four-time NBA champion, the 2007 Finals MVP, and he had this trademark floater that he would use whenever he got into the paint as a point guard. That was Tony Parker. Uh, those of you who know me, those of you who've listened to the show, you've heard uh, my love for the San Antonio Spurs. It started with my uncle Kenya Bradley back in the day with, you know, the David Bro- David Robson and Tim Duncan in the in the late nineties. And so, you know, Tony Parker was a guy who was nineteen. He came over from France to play in the NBA, and you know, he wasn't really received right away by Greg Popovich. Like when he first had his the first workout for San Antonio, it was horrible, according to Tony Parker's words, because, uh, you know, he just didn't play well. The general manager was R.C. Buford at the time. The scout who was responsible for uh, keeping tabs on Tony Parker was Sam Presti, who's the general manager for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, so here it is, Buford and Presti are raving about Tony Parker, this kid from France, and Pop isn't seeing what they're excited about. So, after that horrible first workout, the Spurs decided to give him another chance, and in that second workout, he just he he was he was excellent. He just knocked it out the park, and the Spurs were holding on to their seats, hoping that he would be available at that twenty eighth pick in the two thousand one NBA draft, which he was. And you know they made that selection, and Tony Parker became you know one of the best players in their franchise. Now, like I said, you talk think about this kid being nineteen, leaving his country to become a professional and you're competing against adults against grown men and you're you know thousands and thousands of miles away from home I mean I think about when I left Madison Alabama for the first time going to Auburn University you know that was life-changing for me and that was only three hours away so I can't imagine how Tony Parker felt to leave his home country of France and come to the United States and you know you had this hard-nosed coach who's on your case and you know always teaching you and you can do it better uh so i can imagine how he felt and what he went through 
when he became a new San Antonio Spur. Now, this soundbite you're about to hear is Parker speaking on Greg Popovich, and it's from NBA.com when Parker was, uh, his number was retired into the Raptors, his number nine jersey for the San Antonio Spurs. And here Parker speaks on what Greg Popovich meant to him during his time as, as a San Antonio Spur. I know, Popo, you hate, you hate when we talk about you, but for me, the, the impact that you had in my life, and I had an unbelievable dad, but you were an unbelievable second dad to me. The way you taught me stuff, the way you helped me understand the game and make me better. People forget, back then, there was no European point guards. It was maybe two, three international and man, you took a chance on me. You took a chance. I will always remember when I was 19 and you called me in the back of the plane. We were only four games in and you said, Tony, you're going to start next game. And I was like, I'm going to start? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so that audio is from NBA.com when Parker shared his thoughts on Greg Popovich and how, how important he was to him. Not like I said, not as a player, but just also just as a person. I mean, he spoke on how, you know, he had a, a great he has a great relationship with his dad. But even Popovich was like a second dad to him. And the way he taught him stuff, the way he helped him understand things and just make him better overall as a player and as a person. You know, so that's that's something that, you know, we always think about player coach relationships. And, you know, some of those situations, the players may not have a great relationship with their parents. Uh, and here it is, Tony Parker, who said he had a great relationship with his dad. But even then, he saw Pop as a father figure. And, you know, it carried over from from the time he was drafted from San Antonio to the time he retired, um, you know, over a decade, two decades later. So uh, Tony Parker, Greg Popovich, very special relationship. I read an article where several years ago, you know, Boris Diaw was a good friend of Tony Parker. They're both from France. Uh, Diaw ended up playing with the Spurs as well, winning a championship. But prior to his time with San Antonio, Parker was invited to Christmas holiday uh, with, with Greg Popovich at his house. Diaw came along with him. Somewhere in between dinner and dessert, Popovich and Parker were nowhere to be found. So Diaz looking throughout the house trying to find them. They're in a room watching film together from the game the night before. And so, you know, Diaz was like, man, this is Christmas Day and you can be with your family and talking with your family and spend time with them. And But you choose to spend this time in teaching Tony Parker how, hey, you can do this, you can do this better. And Diaz said he knew at that time that Tony would be just fine. He was in great hands. And so uh, I think that meant a lot, you know, to DL too, as a friend to see, okay, my guy, Tony, is he taken care of with this franchise? Will they do right by him? And I think that just helped him as well when he joined the Spurs years later and winning that championship in 2014 against the Miami Heat. Now, what Popovich had to say about Tony Parker, you know, this is the quote that I came across as, you know, we heard that Parker saw Popovich as a father figure. Greg Popovich said, he's a special young man. I always felt like a, a second daddy to him over the years, and he's been like a son in all kinds of ways. He's always going to be a part of my thoughts. He's just a friend for life and somebody I will always care about. And so, like I said, it doesn't just go one way from player to coach. It goes from pl- 
from coach to player as well. Like this is a bond that's built between two people that will last forever. So that was another example of a player coach relationship. And like I said, I think it just gave us an idea of, you know, it may not just end on the court, but it lasts off the court as well. As we know, Tony Parker and Greg Popovich still have a strong relationship to this day. Hey, this is Jack Martin for the Troy Trojans. You're listening to The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley on the Joy FM Sports. The next player I want to talk about, uh, he led his team to a national champ- to the national championship game. They didn't win it. They lost as a red fr- as when he was a redshirt freshman that year in college. He was voted third in the 1999 Heisman Trophy race. He was the number one pick in the 2001 NFL Draft, a four-time Pro Bowler, and he was also the 2010 Comeback Player of the Year. That guy was Michael Vick, and you know we all know what Michael Vick uh, did, what what he went through. Uh, with the dog fighting ring and, you know, spending 23 months in prison. You know, this is, uh, you know, watching that 30 for 30 on him was was, was emotional, just kind of getting the background and the information of, you know, everything that took place, how it came about. And, you know, this was this was something I think we hadn't seen before, someone of his caliber to, to go to prison, you know. And so, like I so said, he knows he, what he did was wrong. Um you know, he's owned up to it. He's did his time. You know, he he took full responsibility of his actions. And so when he got out of prison, you know, Donovan McNabb reached out to him and was like, hey, man, if I bring you to Philly, will you get your act, your act together? Will you, you know, be a positive influence and come ready to work? You know, he was like, yeah, man, I'm, whatever I need to do, whatever I need to do to get back into the league, I'm going to do it. And so McNabb went to Andy Reid. And vouched for Vic, and he was like, "Hey, man, I spoke to him. I, I believe he's serious. I believe he he deserves a second chance, and I I want this. I want it to be here in Philadelphia." And so, you know, Andy Reid, who you know just won Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, he understood where Vic was coming from because his sons, Britt and uh, Garrett, you know, both had their issues going growing up, and so. Uh, this was an opportunity to for Andy Reid to stay true to his word as a parent, seeing what they've gone through. Here it is now, uh, Michael Vick, who's trying to incorporate himself back into society, and you know he's learned from his mistakes, and this is a second chance to get it right. Andy Wright, Andy Reid has a chance to be a vessel on the way to redemption for Michael Vick. So this soundbite you're about to hear came from the ESPN's 30 for 30 uh, series on Michael Vick. And you hear Andy Reid speak on why he decided Michael Vick would be right to join that Philadelphia Eagle program. My son, Brent Reid, he actually had just uh, been in prison. And I asked uh, Brent to talk to Michael and then came back and said, man, he's, he sounds like he's driven to, to do this thing the right way. I understood second chances, so I, I felt strong about that. So that was Andy Reid speaking on his, you know, just want to be an example. Like, okay, this is uh, this is someone's child, you know. Michael Vick made a mistake. If this was my child, I would want somebody to give him a second opportunity. And so that's what really drove Andy Reid to be a ch- to be a light for Michael Vick and allow him to right his wrongs, you know, and so, you know, I think that was something that 
would didn't go unnoticed by the NFL community because we know Andy Reid is highly respected in the NFL by players, coaches alike, everyone that's involved in the league. And so when he made that gesture to bring Michael Vick onto his team, I think it started that whole forgiving a forgiveness process that Michael Vick needed and was searching for. Now, what Michael Vick said about Andy Reid, uh, this quote that he shared in the interview, he said, I'll never forget the opportunities given to me by this organization by Andy Reid. That will never change. Andy Reid is a man who will go down in history, in my book, as one of the greatest coaches of all time and one of the greatest men I've ever met. You know, that's very high praise to say that about a person, any person, to say he will go down as one of the greatest men I've ever met. Like, so we know Andy Reid as a coach, but here Michael Vick is speaking on him as a man. And so, you know, he'll never forget that Andy Reid gave him that opportunity because McNabb vouched for him for sure. He went to bat for him and wanted Vick to come on a team, but Reid could have been like, you know what? I just don't think it's right. Because we know head coaches have power. You know, um, CEO Jeffrey Lurie was also a part of that forgiveness process that brought back, you know, brought Vic to Philadelphia as well. And knowing all the scrutiny they were going to go through with the media and with fans and with uh, picketing and boycotting and everything that's involved, you know, Andy Reid stood by his guns because he was like, okay, you know what? This is someone's son, and we're going to be a part of of helping him get back to where he needed to be, not just as an athlete, but as a human being in society. And so, you know, like I said, what he did was wrong. We all know um, dogfighting and anything to that nature is unacceptable. Uh, but at the same time, if you kind of paint up, you know, from a different perspective is, you know, hunting is kind of like the same thing. I mean, you think about at the end of the day, it's still, you know, animal cruelty, um, you know, so hunting, like I said, you know, it's done for sport, it's done for fun, it's not necessarily done for survival, so, you know, what, what Vic and there and his group were doing was for sport and fun too, but they were both in the same boat, hunting and dogfighting are still, you know, considered animal cruelty, in my opinion, I mean, I'm not an animal rights activist, but just, you know, kind of calling it what it is, and so, you know, I think sometimes we, you know, we, we make mistakes and we want to point fingers and never forgive that person. But, you know, when the person has done their time in society, they've paid their debts. You know, you just have to kind of let it let it be what it is. Like they paid the price for it. I mean, Vic lost his you know 23 months of his of his life pretty much as, you know, in a jail cell. He lost millions and millions of dollars to uh, from his NFL contracts. He lost endorsement deals along with, like I said, his reputation that. He would have to put in work to try to rebuild and may never get back uh, to way the way it, sh- it should have been or it could have been. So, you know, I think sometimes we just have to, I don't know, give people grace, even though they've made mistakes, because I know I've made mistakes. And, you know, I pray for forgiveness as well with, you know, that person or, you know, just just going to God and just asking for forgiveness in those situations as well. Even though even if we know what we're doing is wrong, we still, you know, just hope for forgiveness and sometimes you get it sometimes you don't but um, I think this is just on a beautiful example by Andy Reid and the Philadelphia Eagles Eagles organization to stand up and stand up for what was right and being that like I said that vessel to get Michael Vick a second opportunity 
And, you know, I always had an interest to coach youth basketball. And so uh, a few years ago, you know, I felt God tugging on my heart to be a part of the youth ministry at church. And so I was with the sixth grade boys and I, you know, shared that with my mom. And, you know, I was like, Mom, you know, this whole time, you know, uh, I've been wanting to coach, you know, basketball. And so she was like, you're still coaching them. You'll you'll be coaching them in life. And so those sixth graders are now eighth graders preparing to enter into their uh, ninth grade year. And even though I'm not at that church serving in that particular area, I still make sure that I'm a part of their lives whenever I see them or whenever I think about them. Now, this past uh, basketball season, you know, I did coach my first first season with the basketball team with some youth boys in a church league and, you know, uh, some of the things, examples that these coaches have shown to players, you know, that's, that's what I try to do as well. Because I, you know, I enjoyed every time I had with with the guys, whether it was games or practices. You know, just teaching them about basketball and hopefully about life as well. Like I still think about them to this day, and you know, the season has been over for several months now, and you know, I'm excited whenever I see them or I see their parents. And, you know, I just love on them and just continue to let them know, like, man, I miss you guys. And, you know, they've really opened up uh, a special place in my heart. Because, like I said, I've always wanted to coach, but I just didn't know when and I didn't know how I would have the time and how that would even come about. So I'm very, very thankful for that moment and time that I had with them. And I believe it's just the beginning because they've got me hooked. I'm, I'm going to be coaching next year for sure as well whenever basketball season rolls around. Now, uh, you heard me speak on Allen Iverson and Larry Brown, and, you know, I shared a soundbite and a quote there as well. Well, a quote that Brown said on coaching Allen Iverson, um, it really spoke to me. And so, you know, this is something that I'll always remember when I'm involved with youth sports and just being involved with the youth in, in general. Uh, this is what Larry Brown said. He said, it's helped me in my life in so many ways. I'm pretty fortunate in that respect. That's why I love what I do and want to continue to do it because of relationships you build with players. And it takes time to get everybody on the same page. But as long as you, but as long as they know you care and want to make them better, that's all you can possibly do. And I'm hopeful I did that. And that's exactly what I hope to do in the years to come as well as when I am coaching and when I am involved with youth as a whole. I, I hope that they know that I care about them and that I want to make them better, not just as an athlete, but as a person overall. Hey, this is Will Holland for the Wiregrass Kings, and you're listening to The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley on the Joy FM Sports. Welcome back to The Sweet Spot. It's time for today's Triple C segment, Corey's Closing Comments. And staying on the theme of players and coaches, this quote comes from head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid. And Andy Reid said, Right your wrongs as good as you possibly can. And what that means is, you know, we make mistakes. We're not perfect. We're all human. But we do miss the mark sometimes. Sometimes we... You know, we just miss it. And even though we mess up, we can't just dwell in that pity. We have to continue to get better and make it as good as you possibly can. Just, you know, learn from those mistakes. Don't duplicate those mistakes. You know, life is a teacher, but you don't want to have to continue to repeat that course. So uh, right your wrongs as good as you possibly can. You may, you may have messed up, but don't continue to dig a bigger hole 
with that problem. Make it better as good as you possibly can. And as we always say, there's nothing better than being in the sweet spot. Stay in the sweet spot on the Joy FM Sports Facebook page. This has been a presentation of the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game.